Hi, I'm Brian Strauss, co-founder of Demand Collective and host of the Collective Wisdom podcast. Collective Wisdom is a demand generation podcast brought to you by Demand Collective, a hyper-vetted community of demand gen and revenue marketers. Apply to join online at demandcollective.io. Thanks for listening. Hello, we are here today for Demand Collective. We're chatting with Garrett Sussman. Uh, super excited to have you, Garrett. Garrett is the Demand Generation Manager at iPool Rank, previously the host of Agency Ahead, and now currently the host of Rankable, an SEO-centered podcast related to demand strategy. He also runs the video show SEO Weekly. Thanks for joining us, Garrett. How are you doing today, my man? I am doing fantastic, Brian. Hello to everyone at Demand Collective. This is a great opportunity, a great, uh, you know, I love geeking out over this stuff. So yeah. this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been super uh, interesting, like keeping up with your stuff because it's, you know, I feel like I don't see that many demand marketers who are really SEO centered. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's um, most demand marketers really come from like one specialization and sort of end up in demand marketing. I was curious if you could maybe walk me through a bit of your journey. I know you started about 12 years ago in sort of a customer support role um, and kind of moved through several specializations from there. Maybe you could kind of paint us that picture and what eventually led you from there to here. For sure. So I'm a Northeast guy, grown, born and raised in Jersey. Uh, I was obsessed with startup culture, right? And like, if you know, in the early 2010s, if you want to do startups, where do you go? So headed out to San Francisco, wanted to get involved somewhere out there. You know, this is like post, you know, real estate crash where, you know, no one was hiring. If you're a millennial and you're graduating around that time, you're like struggling to find jobs. So I get into customer support at this small graphic design Australian startup called 99 Designs. And it was funny because it was super controversial at the time. It was this crowdsourced marketplace, which it's very similar to a lot of kind of what we're dealing with with AI now. But basically, you know, you run this contest, you get a bunch of designers creating designs for you, you choose the winner, that designer gets paid. Um, and so it was kind of tied into marketing right away. I transitioned from customer support to marketing there and started running, in essence, some demand generation marketing campaigns way back then where I was running the blog, we would run these logo contests for um, sports organizations that were talking about doing a new logo. So mm. at the time before the bad name Washington Redskins were going to change their name to the commanders, we ran a logo contest to generate hype about what the new names and what the new logos could look like. And so that was something where all these people started thinking about logos and creating demand generation. And that was so much fun. And so I did that for six years, jumped around in different kind of elements in the marketing community there, then joined a small local startup for local uh, reviews, for online reviews. It helped small businesses get reviews. And that was my entry point into SEO because I started selling that product, learning about the value of reviews for local SEO. You yeah. know, whenever you're searching for like a dentist near me or, you know, a bakery near me, you look at the reviews first. And I realized that was actually impacting what was showing up in the rankings. From there, I started my podcast. We got acquired by a private equity firm. So I started doing a bunch of different software products and got obsessed with SEO. 
And so then about two years ago, I left all of those um, software products for a SEO agency. Now, I mostly am marketing the agency, doing demand gen for the agency as opposed to doing client side. So it's this weird hybrid of doing demand generation for SEO by basically selling SEO. So that's how it all comes in together. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, that's interesting because that kind of goes back to you know we were talking before we started recording about marketing to marketers, marketing to people who are you know, it's um, it's it's a peculiar and, and sort of narrow uh, line you got to walk on in terms of how you market to marketers. Dude, it's so hard, especially like doing SEO against SEO companies too. Cause like, yeah, you know, when, when you have all these agencies that focus on SEO or, or focus, you know, you, the software tools that focus on SEO, they know everything about it. So they're ranking. So it's, it almost feels impossible to rank for any sort of SEO terms. So yeah. that's where you start to focus more on demand gen than actually doing SEO. But yeah, we were talking about that. It's like, as a marketer, as a demand generation, you know, specialist, you see through crap. Like authenticity is the name of the game these days. Like you yeah. can't BS a marketer. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you feel like you know that early experience in like customer support and sales has sort of informed how you approach that? I think any demand generation specialist, manager, director, any marketer should be as tied to customers and sales as possible. Um, I think that's always been the case. I think sometimes we as marketers can neglect that, but customers and sales are the source of truth for your product. It you know influences messaging, positioning, pain points, you know, product market fit. All that is going to inform where you're going to be doing demand generation, demand creation, demand capture all that jazz. So I think it was a blessing. I, one thing I really liked about the first company I worked for is they had a kind of musical chairs within the org where they had like everyone sit in on customer support Yeah. for the first few weeks. Have you seen that before? It's brilliant. Yeah. You have to do I, it. We, uh, when I first started in my career, that was a similar sort of thing where like you joined the company, you had to sit with support and it was tier two support we had a call center somewhere else so the calls you were sitting in on were actually these really tough complicated problems but you learn very quickly how to proactively think about how a system's built and the logic behind it so instead of trying to memorize every situation you're able to really critically think and find solutions that way yeah and uh -huh. i think that's it gives you a really good sense of the business problems the business what you're solving what you're running into everyone should do it yeah yeah. And it's, I think, especially important. I mean, every demand marketer will tell you, any demand marketer who's like effective will tell you, uh, you know, you need to talk to customers, talk to customers, talk to customers. But I think with something, uh, when it comes to SEO, I think that's especially relevant because you have to do everything within the lexicon and taxonomy of customers, literally down to a science. Like it's not a, let's get the general vibe. You need to know what exactly people are searching for, what their actual concerns are, and how they mentally form that path to get there, right? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting discipline because you're depending a lot on data. And as we know as marketers too, like we talk a lot about attribution, right? Like mm -hmm. who gets credit for what? It's really hard to know what data you can trust, right? You know? 
there's a lot of SEO tools. Like in the world of SEO, we talk a lot about search volume and how that informs our SEO strategy. But there's nothing definitive as a source of truth that you can 100% trust when it comes to search volume. We do kind of almost use it as in the same way we we consider leading indicators, like thinking about, okay, it's in the right ballpark. If I'm searching for something as simple as, you know, demand generation, I know a ton of people are searching for that. Yeah. As I get more niche and more specific, you do have to kind of ride that line between what do you think your customers are actually talking about? What are they actually talking about? And then looking at your data that you're receiving via like Google Search Console to see if that is actually validated by people who are coming to your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's a really interesting point around you know the credibility of data in SEO tools, I think SEO is in a really interesting intersection right now between software attribution, hybrid attribution, and you know you have sweeping changes that are being made to like search algorithms and SEO and ad platforms. Amid all of that, like what do you think is the best thing right now for proving out SEO's value to an organization? Well, I think that especially in the context of demand generation, there are two really different angles that I would approach when it comes to the value. One is the organic discovery in Mm. terms of your buyer's journey, right? Like, just like we're talking about, you've talked to your customers, you understand what their pain points are, you can create content for them to discover you just based on what they're searching for. But I think SEO can also validate a lot of what you're doing from a demand gen perspective, whatever campaigns you're creating to determine part of their effectiveness is if someone sees a campaign in the wild, whether that's via advertising or social or email or all that, they're likely to go and search your brand name in association with whatever that campaign is. Are you established there? Are they finding you? And are you seeing, you know, kind of rising metrics that support the success of your campaign outside of whatever channels you're actually distributing on? Mm-hmm. So I think SEO is one important picture in a bigger puzzle in terms of you have to be there, right? Like if you're not visible for what your potential customers are searching for, or what your demand generation campaigns are trying to achieve, then somebody else is, and you're, you're kind of leaving cash on the table. And ultimately, even if, SEO and Google search isn't as much of a volume play as it's been in the past, because we'll talk a little bit about the direction that it's going in. It's still a huge chunk of how people find your business, regardless of what business you are. I'm sorry. I think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. That's um, what that reminds me of is, you know, because SEO is changed so much in the last 10 years from what it was, you know, but gone are the days where someone could keyword stuff or make a hundred pages that have slight variances on, you know, uh, on search terms. But I think someone recently, I saw a thing where someone said, uh, when you Google your symptoms, it's just the diseases with the best SEO. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But they, uh, yeah, so so right now, you know, speaking of things that have changed in SEO, I think AI is one of the biggest things, right? We're kind of seeing AI everywhere. Everyone's talking about AI. People are using AI, and it's kind of like we're finding 
you know, for some people who use it, it's very obvious when they're using it. It's not really like there's no real quality checker there, you know. Where how how do you see AI integrating into SEO as a specialization going in the future? Oh man, that is that's a big <laughs> well, because I think it, it yeah. covers two important distinctive like angles again. One is content creation using AI, yep. which is going to allow you to create content at scale. Um, which I think there, to your point, I think it's polarizing because there are problems with generative AI content in that, you know, tools like ChatGPT have limitations, they hallucinate, they come up with fake BS that, you know, you have to fact check, you have to have a really good editing and QA process for content created there. The other component of AI's relation to SEO is Google is potentially, I don't want to say anything definitive because with Google, you never know, but it seems like they're potentially fundamentally changing the way that search works with the the experiment they're doing right now. Um, If people are familiar with SGE, which is the search generative experience, Mm -hmm. which is this idea that when you are searching on Google, eventually you're going to see an AI generated sort of super snippet, the AI snapshot for whatever you're searching for. Mm. And that's going to be like partially text where it basically takes information from different top ranking results and puts together a very comprehensive sort of bit of information for completely different queries that might not be like the, you know, to your point about keyword stuffing, it might not just be those one or two words. It can be a, a, a more long tail, if you will, a, you know, a long extensive query that someone makes that will potentially reduce the amount of traffic that goes to websites yeah. from Google search, which is the consequence of that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's like, uh, I, I mean, how do you, do you feel like, you know, in that, where does the the role of someone who specializes in SEO fit into that at that point? You know, what's what's the challenge? Well, I think the challenge is, is things are changing. You know, over the last, to your point, 10 years, we've yeah. seen different elements appear in search. Like we've seen a featured snippet, which is like just right. a little blurb that appears above the organic search results. Yeah. And you know, there was a lot of talk in the demand gen world and the SO world of this idea of like zero click searches where someone goes to Google, they search and they don't click on any of the organic links because they've got this featured snippet. Mm. AI snapshot kind of does that in overdrive. And so it changes the way that we need to think about content because depending on your audience, some people are still going to need more information. AI can only do so much at this point. If it's a very complex or technical type of content that you're producing or doing demand gen for, people are still going to want to find your content and read it and understand it. Like they're not going to want that surface level sort of um, response from AI. Also, as you think about you know the customer journey and the funnel, like the simple top of the funnel answers, yeah, that we're going to lose traffic. But as you get down further in the funnel where you're doing like comparisons, you're looking for specifically if your solution is the best, you're still going to need to have your content available and to be surfaced and visible on Google. So yeah. the tricky thing is, I think that we are going to need to 
create demand generation for the middle and bottom of the funnel more effectively. We still have to do top of the funnel because you still need to represent yourself as a authority in your niche, in your industry, but it's coming with the consequence of not as much traffic coming from that top of the funnel content. Which, I mean, I think now more than ever, that makes sense when you think about how fundamentally the buyer journey has changed. Like gone are the days where your website or salesperson is the only source of information on your product, right? You know, now by the time people reach a website, they've gone through, you know, 60, 70% of the sales process. You know, they've done yeah. their research, they've looked at reviews, they've gone to other websites, they've talked to their people, you know? So I don't know, like, it's kind of one of those things where I think top of funnel stuff will always be around to some degree, but I agree down funnel is going to be really where our role starts to, to do the most work. Uh, yeah, and it's all a moving target too, right? Like social, it's like the algorithms on, so on LinkedIn, like you see, right. you know, LinkedIn content creators one day, it's like, you write this long post next day, it's carousels all over the place. Next day it's, it's videos. Like, oh. <laughs> that's, and that's the thing with SEO too. Like we're seeing more videos, different types of content being surfaced. It's you, you can't ever stagnate in our industry. It's, it's tough too. Cause you know, going back to your, you know, what you were saying on information credibility, you know, it was just a couple of years ago when there was the huge video push all across social. And then lo and behold, it turns out a lot of the metrics were inflated from these companies. So that's challenging. Cause I think like it undermines the actual value that some of these channels bring. Like it doesn't suddenly mean that video or carousels or whatever is not valuable as a medium but it does degrade confidence and trust and it makes, you know, really defining that specialization much more challenging, I think. Yeah. And, and to that point, you got to know your audience anyway, right? Like it, it, you know, different types of people, different types. And I'm not, I'm not going to like put anyone in a bucket because yeah. it really depends, you know, like it's so fun to talk about like generations, like boomers like this, millennials like that, but like it, it's those segments don't work the same as they used to like, and the way that people, you know, some people like to like enjoy short form on TikTok or back in the day liked Vine or now YouTube shorts, or if people like to read long blog posts or listen to podcasts, like you need to know your audience. And that goes for any distribution channel, including SEO. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think what it doesn't, you know, account for is how much those demographics change. Like when I think about when I was earlier in my career, I was I wanted the long articles. I wanted to read a ton. I wanted, that's how I'd like to learn. And as I've gotten older and as I, you know, further into my career, busier, I don't have the time as much as I'd love to because there's more than ever though, more than ever, there's really great information out there. And there's great teachers, great uh, people who are so talented in their fields, but I need it to be digestible. You know what I mean? Dude, there's too much content out there. I mean, that's the thing that we're also competing with as marketers, you know, in terms of like, I remember when the AI stuff was really kicking off when ChatGPT was launched in November and I'd be on Twitter or X or whatever. And every day it was like information overload. Yeah. And, you know, it's, that's another thing too, the different type, like as marketers, we get caught up in these bubbles. And that's another reason to always continually be kind of reaching out and close to your, your customer base, your target audience, you know, the way that people search for things pre-pandemic and post-pandemic is different. Like 
everything's changing and it's just marketing is just becoming like the fundamentals will always be the same, the psychology of everything, but the tactics and the strategies are always changing for what works and doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as like one of the biggest fundamental misses that a lot of marketers are making right now? And maybe it is or isn't their fault. Maybe it's leadership pushing them to have antiquated strategies, et cetera. Like what, what do you see like really occurring often that makes you go, hmm. You know, I do see this, the conversations around dark social and MQLs and this, that, and the other thing. I think, I think using a specific template that works for 20 million other people isn't the way to go. I think we need to really embrace critical thinking and think about what works for us. I think that's partially an appeal of AI because you can get more specific targeted information. I think that's also an appeal of Demand Collective where it's like actually talking to people who are in your industry who have experiences that can tell you, you know, what may or may not work for your specific situation. I always liken it to um, raising a dog. I don't know if we have any dog people who are watching this, but like, you know, I have this mini golden doodle, super separation anxiety. She's the most amazing thing ever, but like, I'll watch a YouTube video on mini golden doodles and like what specifically applies to my house or, you know, when we first got her, my apartment doesn't necessarily work for what they're recommending in the videos. We need all these personalized, you know, critical thinking sort of solutions mm -hmm. and can't depend on, you know, a blanket template or playbook to work for us yeah that was i was talking to someone the other day about you know i don't anytime someone goes i have a playbook a playbook a playbook for every company i go to and i'm like i don't i'm sure that's how that works but um yeah i think when it, those conversations around you know mqls dark social around everything i think so much of it is less about you know, the terminology itself, like to me, it's a lot of pedantics, right? It's a lot of, um, a lot of just rebranding things, you know, we're marketers, we love to rebrand things, it's going to be a new acronym and MQL and NOI, RBI, you know, all of it, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think core fundamentals, right? Like one, having alignment on definitions across what those KPIs actually are, what they actually mean to each department, right? So, a sales team should not have different marketer market different markers for what a qualified op is than marketing, for example, right? MQLs as a concept has been diluted. And I'm not sure what your thoughts are in terms of like, you know, how do you align with your sales team? How do you set these definitions? And how do you create that culture of collaboration between teams? Well, I think that that's the thing is having it as a part of your culture, having the conversations, having the meetings, um, being open to iteration and mm. reflection and retrospectives. Like one of the things I actually working at this agency that's been different at past roles is we work in um, agile sprints which I love, you know, I love this idea of, you know, we're going to set our plan for two weeks in the context, you know, of, I love the idea of like modular, you know, programming and modular campaigns that you can move them all around. And then so sprints, we're going to knock it out. And so we're going to have our meetings, but we're going to revisit things, whether it's bi-weekly, quarter, like we, you know, we'll do quarterly um, historically, but it only works if it works. 
you know, in the sense of like things do change. So to your point about MQLs and being aligned, it's like you can be on the same page, but if your sales team, you know, a month later is telling us, okay, we're we're on the same page with these MQLs, but the as MQLs aren't actually getting to sales qualified leads. So we need to re review the the our definition. I think that's fair and I think that's important. It's it's really tricky, right? To like walk that line between being dynamic and organic and being able to change things up versus being rigid and not finding yourself too far on one end of the aisle or the other. Yeah, there's there's a careful balance marketers have to hit, in my opinion, between stability and long-term planning and being reactive, right? Like reactive or agile, depending on the uh, perspective. But it's marketers are constantly pushed, I think, to change on an on a dime. And I think there needs to be some component of evergreen stability on this side and you need to have the opportunities to jump and capitalize on things very quickly. You know, how do, what do you have any particular examples where you've been put in that sort of situation where you've either had to push back against like an exec or you made a quick change and it was something really successful? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think a lot of it has to do with your tech stack and yep. what you're you're allowed to do, you know, what you're able to do. Because we have such restrictions um, and sometimes it's resources and all that. So I think in terms of planning, just having that like modular and agile approach allows you to jump between this and the other thing. I think, you know, having quarterly plans and, and, and having a general theme in place for what you want to try to accomplish so that you can fit in those capitalization opportunities you know, here and there. Um, but I think, you know, having like being able to feel comfortable and safe to push back is really important when right. it's, you know, it's easy to jump to a new thing. And, you know, our agency, we have gone all in on generative AI. Like we do think that that's the future and are trying to move on it. Um, and that was a big pivot. Like, it was funny because we were starting to have our founders very technical focus in terms of technical SEO, but also, you know, thinking about AI, thinking about how Google builds its algorithms. Like he's he's writing a book right now. And so he was talking about right before ChatGPT came in, like came out of nowhere, and then it caught the mainstream by storm. And then Google's jumping on it. And now it's like, we had to pivot, but it felt like the right move. It's marketing is also a series of bets to some extent, yeah. right? That's like, even if you have a long term plan, you you can't always stick to it if the market declares that it's not the right direction. Right, right. It's funny you mentioned that because we, as part of our campaign plan at one company I was at, every quarter we had a couple slides dedicated to our big bets. Right, those yep. are the things. We're going to hope, you know, we've got old reliable over here that we're running, but let's, let's try some things and see how that goes. You know, do you have uh, any, any big bets that you've taken this quarter? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think that predicting the way that SEO is going to change based on Google's moves yeah. um, and being all in on AI, I think is a big bet because it, you know, it could be, you know, we saw what happened with NFTs, right? right? Like we saw the whole crypto thing and like, yeah. 
and 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 blockchain and i get it and i get that there's still people out there that are all in on web3 and and maybe eventually we've seen it with like google glass in the past i do think generative ai in some way shape or form is going to be here to stay i think as marketers if you're not learning the tools you know, you are doing yourself a disservice. I think it's important to future-proof yourself. I don't think that they're going to replace marketers, yeah. but I think the most successful marketers are going to be the ones who understand how to leverage these tools. Like I think about it, a lot of it, like Photoshop, you know, like as a, di like it's a tool and yeah. it's our responsibility to learn how to use these most effectively without compromising our values or integrity or or all of that because i i do hear the pushback and the naysayers and the criticisms but the technology is only going to get better so my big bet is is ai is here to stay and not in like an nft google glass type of way yeah 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 no i i agree with that i think it's been so quickly integrated across so many different services and platforms it's hard to imagine that it'll suddenly get so rolled back. Like some of those other examples, whether it was, you know, uh, Google Glass or NFTs, they were sort of, they were really niche. And they were really like, if you were in it, you were in it. But like a lot of, you know, people just weren't even aware. And so with AI though, everyone and their mother has heard of AI, knows it's integrated into stuff somehow. Do you ever have, you know, you have a big background in content, for example. <laughs> And you're clearly still a demand uh, marketer who's still very in touch with the content side of things. Do you ever have like, you know, you mentioned using these tools properly. Do you have concerns about like whether it's ethical implications of AI or even just concerns about like writers and content marketers being replaced by AI? I understand those concerns. So going back full circle to yeah. my earlier role, um, when I was in San Francisco at the design startup, one thing that came up constantly with these contests were derivative work of other designers. Yeah. And that gray area of what is original and what is unique. And so on the one hand, I think we're gonna be walking into more complicated gray areas now of this idea of what is derivative work. Yeah. I think that the most successful writers and designers will be able to use this stuff to their advantage to be better. I think ultimately it's it's an aspect of creativity. It's a different skill set. Yeah. Um, which people are just going to have to come to terms with. I think that there is ethical issues. Like I think that you see Midjourney being trained on all these, um, you know, designers' work or artists' work. I see, you know, ChatGPT being trained on all the information and you know, not all of it on the internet, but like a ridiculous amount of training data. I think it becomes. I I don't feel I don't I don't like dismiss anyone who is against it I understand it but mm -hmm. I also think that creativity is a synthesis of ideas and all the ideas that come before it and so it's there's a difference between plagiarism and derivative work yeah and I see AI going more in the direction of derivative work and being personally okay with that yeah here's your take 
I so I'm a huge art and music guy right and I you know when I was in school I studied a lot of art history so it's really interesting to see you know the technology has changed but it presents a lot of uh, similar arguments that you might have seen in 19th century art right or not 19th 20th century art and um, you know when you had artists like Andy Warhol you know, mass reproducing and repurposing symbols like the Campbell's soup can, right? And the question of when you're mass manufacturing these pieces, are they still him? Are they still art? Is it a critique on capitalism, et cetera, et cetera? You had Marcel Duchamp who repurposed, famously repurposed, infamously maybe, uh, a toilet, right? <laughs> and said, yeah. it's art. So, and I don't disagree. I think those are all examples of art. I think, you know, so much of, 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 um, the intellectual basis of the piece and sort of like there's a lot of artistic conceptualizations that are tied to one what is art two how do we define it and a lot of the time something as simple as like poetry right how do you define poetry and it's like you kind of can't but you kind of know it when you see it type deal and so yeah. like i think the problem with um ai not problem but i think the dilemma people are gonna to have to face, and this is where you have that intersection between what's art and what's content. And being able to say like, one, making sure the original artists that these models are trained on are appropriately credited, compensated, because um, it's more than just taking inspiration at that point, I think. And so I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over, because like right now, I feel like even the US courts already, you're seeing things about like, you cannot copyright AI generated content, art, whatever. Yeah. So what are the implications of that? Who like, we're, we were just talking about Google and their generated text based on, yes, they're link, they're now linking to articles that they're pulling the text from. Originally, they weren't doing that. They weren't like, yeah. like sourcing. And so are they accountable or responsible for their choices? Like, is it a copyright issue? Is it a government issue? Is it a morals issue? Is it all of the above? It's a gray um, area. I mean, you look at recent, like music that uses samples, for example, right? Yep. Or collages. These are all things that pull from existing foundations of work, right? Yep. Sampled music, you get cleared for samples. Collage work, it's so mangled, it becomes its own thing. So it's, you know, and it's- Parody. What's that? Parody is, is yeah. a whole other thing. Like any sort of parody, like, it, like what is the line between parody that is okay to use commercially? Right, right. So I think those are the sort of lingering questions. I mean, even in uh, music, who was it? Uh, what was that one song uh, Robin Thicke and Pharrell did? And they got sued by the Marvin Gaye estate, you know, because it was, you know, overlapping same beats, right? And you right. have um, Paramore and uh, Olivia Rodrigo, right? Her first hit song, because it fits on top of Paramore's most famous song, Misery Business, she gets sued, right? And instead she has to, you know, hand over part of the royalty. So this is everywhere. And it's it's not a new question, but it is a new shape for it. Absolutely. I mean, even like to that point, you know, you start to see these like 
the technology moving too fast, which is what we're talking about. We don't know what to do with it of like, you know, Kanye songs or, or, or Drake songs being used from AI generated, you know, voice emulators. Um, I don't know if you saw that, it's just like that. Or, and so you'll see artists, like I think Grimes was like, you know, I'm going to license my voice or people licensing their images yeah. to be used for whatever commercial purpose. Um, it's an exciting time to be alive as a marketer. Like if you're like, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but everything moves so quick and moves so fast. I, that's what I love about this industry is like, you have to adjust and adapt. And like, there's so many tools at our disposal to leverage, to try out, because like we were saying, you, you know, what works yesterday might not work today. And our whole game is all about experimenting and and trying out new things and see what resonates with our audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that's probably a good place for us to end on uh, a little bit of hope for the future, a little bit of exciting changes in marketing. I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat with me, Garrett. Uh, Any final thoughts you want to share? No, um, thank you so much for having me. I, like I said, I love geeking out over this stuff. I really do think, you know, SEO will continue to be an important channel for demand generation marketers. Don't stop creating content and trying to rank, but you know, do it authentically. Know your customers, um, and then outside of that, you know, I I love being on on the socials on Twitter and LinkedIn. So definitely find me. I'd love to connect with anyone who wants to geek out over this AI stuff. Yeah, we'll be sure to share your information with our members as well. So thanks again, Garrett. Thanks for having me. For those who listen or watch this, if you're a demand marketer looking for a tight-knit community of demand gen experts, be sure to apply to our community, Demand Collective, at demandcollective.io. Thank you, everyone, and have a great weekend.